You're listening to Education Review Radio. Hello, I'm Wade Zaglis, the Education Editor for Education Review. Today I'm interviewing Tony Maguire, Regional Director of Australia New Zealand at D2L, the inventors of Brightspace Learning Management Systems. As an experienced teacher and consultant, he is well-placed to discuss the issues concerning student assessment and reporting that were highlighted in last week's edition. Tony, Professor Jeff Masters recently cited a major US study showing uh, a significant mismatch between how students were actually achieving and how well their parents thought they were achieving. Is this quite common in your experience? It is, Wade, and thank you for uh, the opportunity to, uh, to chat. It truly is. I think one of the things that came out of the going from a home situation with COVID was that that disconnect or that distance between what was happening in the classroom and what was being, I guess, filtered by parents was quite significant. So COVID's produced uh, or given us an opportunity to take stock of that gap and find effective ways to to shrink it down, I think. And parents are fundamentally interested in the success and the progress of their of their children. Teachers are fundamentally focused around making sure that students understand and move through their, their learning activities and uh, gain mastery and proficiency over tasks. So somewhere in the middle, we need to be able to take that goodwill, those learnings from COVID, and find better ways to present that information as you know, the term is, is progressive reporting, progressive feedback to parents. And there are lots of good examples currently that I see around uh, that particular problem and solutions for it. Uh, well, I guess that leads to my next question. You seem to be advocating a reporting approach that is much broader than simply reporting on, say, a specific piece of assessment. Can you talk a bit about this? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think when we, we talk about reporting, we're essentially thinking about feedback loops to students to ensure that the goals that they set, the activities that they work through, and the assessments, uh, the assessment tasks that they complete provide an evidence-based picture of the student's progression or skills development. The reporting piece really then is having a feedback loop in place so that the student can reflect on uh, their achievement in that task. They might look at the rubric and understand if they had done X, Y, and Z, they could have had a different mark. The reflection that comes after that feedback loop, that personal reflection by the students, is really important. And, and where I see schools doing a good job is where they try and mirror that feedback structure uh, within the reflection as well. So it becomes another mini feedback loop, if you like. Mm-hmm. The next phase for that is that then how do you report back, reporting back to the students, but also reporting back to the school. But most importantly, how do you report back to parents in, in a consistent, progressive, an inclusive way. And then the last phase for that is, as a group, and how do we reflect on the goal setting that is important for students as they then think about the next set of tasks or the next set of proficiencies that are um, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the learning structure. So I think, I think that the reporting piece has to be looked at from a broader perspective, not just assessment around specific assessment, mm-hmm. but we think about... Um, 
well, one school that I was chatting with uh, recently talked about the impact of learning cycles and how they would use technology to automate some of that learning, that assessment, that reporting, so that there was space and time in that activity so that parents could be more effectively engaged in the conversation, they had evidence in front of them, and they could actually start to build on that, that more face-to-face experience when they were home, supporting homeschooling with teachers, uh, to be included in a, in, a, in a productive and positive way in that, in that reporting structure. Absolutely. Uh, do you think, in that sense, a nationally consistent way of reporting on student achievement would be a good idea with common, plain and meaningful language for students and parents? I think your comment around um, uh, accessible language is really important. Um, you talked about Jeff Masters at the top of the, uh, the interview, and I think he has recently... At um, end of last year, he talked about the way in which a paradigm change can occur, and that par- a paradigm change thinks about proficiency-based learning. We know that there's different uh, capability uh, groupings within school and within within classes. Now, I would see kids who were you know, operating you know, two, three years ahead of some of the mean or, or, or um, some medium medium um, achievements grouping in the class, and then you've got kids who are a couple of years behind. Mm-hmm. So his thinking was, how do we, instead of having a linear approach to curriculum and a linear approach to rubrics, how do we stack that in a more vertical way so that it provides opportunities for more personalised and individual learning plans without the overheads required to do that? Because essentially, teachers are already working with two, three, you know, maybe four groupings of capabilities within their class anyway. So we're not trying to reinvent the curriculum. We're just trying to reinvent, rethink, I guess, the way that we consider learning, how we stack that learning, and how we report on it. So I think the reporting has to be uh, relevant to the state. We can take national uh, leads on things like proficiency-based or outcome-based learning, competency-based learning, if that's what we're talking about. But the schools themselves need to be able to weld this into a way which is specifically tied to their local communities. And that just takes us back to the mid-80s when we, we talked about um, community-based uh, curriculum design as well out of Canberra. So it's really a continuation of that 80s work in a sense, but just updating it for today. Sure. Yes, context is definitely important. Well, what do you think is the major purpose of re- re- reporting and for whom is it most intended in your in your mind, I think if we're if we're considering the data that's being bubbled up at a national level around PISA and um, the high stakes testing at the moment that's in place, that plan, it's about getting data sets that give us an indication for how cohorts are operating, achieving at a point in time. But I think if we go back to first principles, we have to think about the fact that students are at the centre of everything that we do. So whilst we're collecting data and we're looking at those broader success factors, we have to always come back to the fact that reporting is about our desire to help the student be the best they can. Mm -hmm. So everything we do within the school has to be predicated around that three-way relationship between 
students, parents and teachers or the school, if you like, and all of the stakeholders within the school. So reporting has to be effective, transparent and valuable at that school level, at the individual level for the students. But we also have to have, we also have, to have a way of reflecting back those broader data sets. So I think it's a, almost how long is a piece of string, but fundamentally, it has to be about student success and it has to be personalised and contextualised for each student and family group. Mm-hmm. Well, lastly, Tony, uh, so the budget's coming out uh, tonight. In broad strokes, what would you like to see in the budget this year for education? If a Pandora's box, really, uh, potentially, Wade. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of money uh, quite rightfully replaced towards aged care, healthcare services, MDIS. And in a way, this continues that march towards better skilling of the workforce. If we don't have the right skills in place, if we don't have the right understanding of the proficiency or the competency of those skills in the workplace, we're going to struggle to see the productivity gains that we should see out of these kinds of investments. So I think firstly, I'd like to see a more robust and connected conversation around things like micro-credentialing. So the federal government's already had a had put a toe in the water around this, and I think it's a, a, a great start. But I think we need to take this further. I'll give, give you an example. I was speaking recently with one university who's going through a procurement process. Uh, when we came to talking about their view of micro-credentialing, future skills, based on you know, the research from Foundations for Young Australians, it wasn't something that was on their radar. Mm-hmm. Within two days, I'm having conversations with three of our schools, and they see micro-credentials as fundamental to how they move forward as a learning community because it gives them a way to be able to build a significant experience for their students, communicate the value of what's being learned, and be able to build a framework that is evidence-based that shows student performance, shows student improvement. Mm-hmm. And that means there's an easy way then for students to show what they've learned, to demonstrate the skill, for parents to understand how effective and, and how um, how valuable the learning is that's taking place. And then as, those, then as those students exit out of secondary school, for instance, there is a way by which you can then reflect that learning through portfolios or badges or whatever to other institutions, to workplaces. So I think there's a really interesting opportunity to bring evidence, transparency, and a framework for understanding how our students are learning and their successes in a more um, useful way. So I'd like to see something around uh, a threading together of all the various initiatives and a more explicit focus on micro-credentialing, I think, as as a structure or as a scaffold yes. for that uh, for that uh, performance evaluation. That's interesting too because uh, I guess, uh, you know, due, due to the uh, short period of time it takes to complete these micro-credentialing courses, you know, students aren't going to find it too daunting. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, it would be covered financially and, yeah, it would, um, it, I think it would give them that important link to the workplace and all their future careers. I, I, I think so. Tate Queensland is working on a really interesting project with the Foundation for Young Australians. 
around the spaces where future skills need to be built. And they're taking that research from the foundation to think about the way in which they build micro-credentials and how they then take those to the market in a sense. Because one of the other things that we have to consider here is as soon as you start thinking about micro-credentials, you have to think about an underpinning business model for it, whether it's whether it's freely provided or whether it's fee for service. There are a variety of business models that schools need to think about. Even if it's just a case of we're credentialing our teachers and we're going to build the excellence of our, our, student, of our, of our college through a professional development program that others could take part in. And there's a couple of schools in Australia doing that at this point. Um, through to, uh, we're releasing these uh, courses and they're uh, modest fee for service and you can take some of our, our content and you can, uh, you can deliver it. So different business models. Well, Tony Maguire, sorry, from D2L, thank you so much for speaking with Education Review today. Why, absolute pleasure. Have a fabulous budget night and I look forward to talking again soon. Thank you.